And so what do you do when you feel like your life has become too crowded? You know, sometimes we come in on Sunday morning, we think everything's going great, and then we look at a video like that and we think, wow, there's so much that I just forgot, you know? You know, a few weeks ago, my buddy was at the dentist, and he's a pastor too, and he was just sitting down in the chair. It was before Christmas, and he was stressed out. And he, he was sitting in a chair, and he was having people around him work on his mouth and stuff like that. And this thought entered his head. He said, this is awesome. I'm just doing nothing. I can't do anything. And people around me are doing everything. This is wonderful. He came home, and he told his wife you know, how great it was just to sit there in that chair. And she says, you know you're in trouble when you look forward to Dennis to get away, you know? Well, as it happened, a few days later, I went to the dentist, too, and I had this all in my mind, and, you know, I was busy, too, and I went in there, and I, I thought, oh, this is nice, you know, and then it kind of pampered you a little bit, all until they got out those little things that, that starts to scrape your teeth, and I thought, this is horrible. I want to go someplace else, you know. But I tell you all this because the person that stands before you, buddies of mine that are pastors, we don't have this all figured out yet. I'm a fellow struggler in this, this journey on how to live life so that it's not so overwhelming all the time. I would say I'm doing a lot better than I was about five years ago, but I still haven't figured it all out. Hurry, frantic, feeling overwhelmed, out of control describes, I think, way too much of our lives at times. And at least that's what the studies say. They say that we pack more into our schedule than any other culture in the world today. And we do things in our culture that are crazy. We buy things. We get involved with things. They have speed attached to their name even. I came across a few things. We ship items using Federal Express. We have long-distance carriers called Sprint. We balance our checkbook with Quicken. We even diet with Slim Fast. And for some of you crazies, you even buy your swimsuits from Speedo. <laughs> All this attention to speed, to getting things done quickly, because we don't have enough time and we're freaked out and we don't know what to do. But we're also very complex. We're, we're multidimensional beings. And we have several different domains that make up our lives. I'll call them components of our life. For example, got the component of children. And if you've got children, you've got school and homework and sports and extracurricular activities and their social life. You're shuttling them from one place to another and so much so that it gets pretty crazy. When you can count every single day on your schedule for multiple hours on your schedule every day, it sometimes it gets overwhelming. Your family is another component. You're trying to get quality and quantity with your spouse and with your kids, failing at both so often that you don't know how to fix it. Trying to get together meals for meals, just combining calendars with your family can be an incredible task, and sometimes it just doesn't even work. I was talking with a guy at the swim at the swim place where my daughter goes, and I've never seen his wife. It's because his wife takes his daughter to Scocker all over the place for all our, for all every day of the week. Then another component is work. We've got projects and deadlines and bosses and relationships and interruptions and conflict. I read this week that the average middle manager has 36 hours of stuff to do on their desk, and they spend three hours a week just rearranging it, you know, so it stays there. I think some of us can identify with that. Then you've got the personal components. Some of you have so much in the other components that you literally have no personal time left at all, no personal time for growth, health, exercise, hobbies. And there's school. That can be a painful time with work and classes and homework and tests. And then there's the friend component. That's where you hang out with friends or correspond with distant but important friends. You're meeting the needs of your friends, and that sometimes can be time-consuming as well. And then there's the component of your spiritual life. Quiet time, going to church, trying to serve in ministry, trying to become a member before the year 2015 so God still loves me. And if that's all not enough, we just finished a marathon of holiday intrigue. 
We finished what I call the seasonal component. Six weeks of intrigue where we were busy, stressed, overwhelmed for way too much of the time. We had to decorate, got to shop, all those parties to go to, hanging out with the relatives and family members, some of whom, let's just be honest, we're not best friends with them yet. And that is a picture of stress. And we just finished it all. And we're still dealing with some of the residue from all that activity. And for many of us, we just get to the point where we think this is normal. And we go along thinking it's normal until we unpack all these components and then we realize just how overwhelmed we are. And the sick thing about so many of us here is that we feel that fatigue is just the normal. We've come to accept it. You're born into a busy life. You move and you rush until you drop dead. There's always little tasks that are biting at your heels, it seems. Too many responsibilities to be met, too many obligations to be carried out, not enough time to do everything that you want to do or see everybody that you want to see. I'd like to talk more about this, but I've crammed too much into this message, and so I don't have time, right? It's a picture of busy. And as I was thinking about this all this week, it's more than just our calendar and that stuff that, that, that piles up and makes us feel overwhelmed. It's other stuff, too, that seems to inflate this dimension of being overwhelmed in our lives. You add to our schedules, our personality quirks, which are many, the life stages that we go through, the crisis that we experience, and of course all of our insecurities. And it's no wonder that we feel overwhelmed so much of the time. In fact, when we're confronted with all this, it's easy to cry out and raise our hands and say, yes, I'm overwhelmed. I'm not sure how to fix it. What we need to do is we need to cut back a little, right? Cancel a few appointments, but that would oddly be the wrong answer because it doesn't usually ever fix anything. Because, to be honest, it's a lot deeper. It's a lot bigger than all of that. And so what is the answer? Well, one day Jesus looked up at a group of people who were tired, like many of us are here today, and he made this promise which still stands for us today. He said, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you have heavy burdens, come to me and I'll give you rest. And I guess that's my prayer for you this post-holiday season is, that God would restore his rest and his peace to your lives in a very real, very tangible way. But again, you start asking how. And Jesus, in his remarkable way, gives us three things to show us how. And some of them are counterintuitive in the sense of, I'm going to tell you that the way to find more peace in your life is to add more stuff to it. At least that's God's answer, but it, it does work, I promise you. One of the first things that God tells us to do in his word is that when you're overwhelmed, you need to recognize your value. The reality is, is that God knew that there'd be times in your life where you'd feel like you're going under, where you'd feel overwhelmed, where you'd feel insecure, where you'd be stressed. And he says, I want you to remember always during those times that you matter, that you're important, that you matter to me, that you're an original masterpiece. In fact, that's the message of Christmas, isn't it? That we mattered so much that he sent us his son, that he'd do anything for us, that he wouldn't just let us go and perish without trying at least something. And he tried everything, he, even to the point of giving up his son. And I love how Jesus uses word pictures and illustrations, and he talks here about birds, of all things, and to talk about this. He says in Matthew 6, So I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? I mean, look at the birds. Don't, they don't need to plant or harvest or put food in the barns because their Heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says this, And you are far more valuable to him than they are. Jesus is saying, don't get caught up so much in the small externals of life, but get caught up in the big eternal of life. And that big eternal truth of life is that you matter to God, that you're valued, that you're loved. And I think this is big for us because it means this, that we're loved for who we are 
and not for what we do. I want you just to think about that just for a second. Where, second for, where else is that true in life? Answers I don't think anywhere. So where are you trying to find your value from right now? Is it your kids? Is it your, from your spouse? Is it from your parents, your work? I mean, wherever it is, God is saying you've got to stop. And you've got to find your core value, your, the fact that you matter. You've got to find that from God, who will always love you, who will always be consistent, who will always be rooting for you, who always will be there. And then Jesus goes on and he says that when you're overwhelmed too, when you make time decisions, base them on your convictions, not other people's agendas. I say that because I think so much of what we do is we respond to pressures in life, right? Whatever the pressure is, there's always people asking us to do something. Would you do this? Would you lead this? Would you volunteer for that? Would you buy this? Would you commit to this? Would you attend this? Would you take my three hyperactive kids while my wife and I moved to California? I mean, one of those things, right? I mean, just something... There's always asking. And Jesus says this, In your convictions, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you feel in your heart no, then why in the world are you saying yes? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Let just say yes and no. For when you manipulate your words to get your own way, to please others, to work into a unique situation, you always go wrong. And Jesus was the master of knowing when to say yes and when to say no. And he said yes to the important things, right? He said yes to becoming human. He said yes to a life of teaching and healing and compassion. He said yes to touching the leper and then healing him. Nobody else would do that. He said yes to dying on a cross and then rising again so that our sins could be forgiven. But he also knew when to say no. So he said no to temptation. And he said no to some of his closest friends who had some kind of goofy requests. He said no to pressures. He said no to other people's agendas. An example of this is Matthew 19. Some children were brought to Jesus so that he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. And the disciples said, hey, don't bother Jesus. That was their agenda. Keep the kids away from Jesus. And and I think sometimes churches do that same thing. I just heard about the church the other day where the kids not only didn't have other things to do during church, they weren't allowed in the church service at all. And I, I think that's crazy in light of new information about how important that is. But Jesus said this, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So Jesus had a conviction to show love to those which the world thought were less than, to those that the world thought were inadequate or lowly or outcasts. And that's what he said yes to. I'm going to share love with everybody, he said. And I really believe that with all my heart that one of the reasons why we get so overwhelmed, right, is because we don't know when to say yes and we don't know when to say no. Because we allow other people to control our agendas. And the honest truth is, is that I could be busy every single night of the week doing things that other people think are important. And it's not their fault for asking me if I'm doing them. It's my fault for saying yes. I have a choice and you have a choice. Nobody holds a gun to my head when I make choices, at least not yet. And that's good. I have a lovely wife. You know, that's fantastic. But we need to develop that no muscle, right? Or we're going to be overwhelmed again in 2014. God doesn't want that for us. And then he goes on to this last one, and this is, this is the big one and, and the most important one, and it's one that I think we struggle so much to do, and that's take time to be quiet. Now, obviously, this means more than just rest, unfortunately, I guess, for us. I'm talking about more than just sitting back and watching TV, watching U of A play or ASU play or, of course, USC play. That's more exciting oftentimes. Um, Jesus modeled this, actually. He was not watching USC, but taking rest. And he was a classic example of uh, taking time to be quiet. 
In Mark 1 it says this, The next morning Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. And later Simon and others went out to find him. And they said, Everyone is asking for you. Today would be like this. Hey, where are you? Why haven't you, don't you have your cell phone on? Why haven't you been answering our texts? We can't find you anywhere. Bartholomew over here was trying to open his email, but he couldn't. And we haven't figured out where you are because you haven't been posting any updates. Where are you, Jesus? But Jesus says, I'm not going to live that way. He said no to, to nonstop accessibility. Not because he didn't care about his friends, but because he knew if he had to, he had to say no to something in order to say yes to a time to be still and quiet with his Lord. You say, what do I do during that time? I just kind of sit there and look around and wait for God to say something? No, you, you read God's word, you listen. You look at and focus on your own life. You, you reflect on what God is trying to share with you. And if God says this is so important, to meditate on his word day and night, he actually commands it. It's one of the things that helps us revere his name, keep him number one in our life, all the days of our life. If Jesus models this, then my question is, where is it in your schedule? Where is it in your daytime? I think a lot of us need help with this. If you're married, you need to ask your spouse for help. But we need to figure out a way where we can get alone time with God. Then maybe you go through a message like this and you start asking yourself why yourself, why your life is so overwhelmed. Where is it that your insecurities are adding to your overload? Why are you saying yes to things that you know you need to be saying no to? Are you working so hard to please others? Why and how has your overwhelmed life impacted those that you love the most? And when you're doing this time of reflection, you're in essence just listening to God and what it is that he's trying to share with you. Some people say, God doesn't talk to me, and I don't think that's true. I just don't think we sit still long enough to hear him most of the time. The Bible says that God's talking all the time to his children to make them into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so in your quiet time, you not only reflect on time alone, you refuel with time with God. And you can contemplate your insides all you want, and probably some of us need to, but you refuel with some time with God and hearing his words and understanding his promises. And in the end, I'm kind of a bottom line type guy. Those of you that know me know that I like to cut to the chase. I like to get to the what does this matter or why does this matter. And here's the bottom line for me. That Mike Sheldon is a different person when I'm spending time with God on a regular basis. I'm just a different person when I'm spending time with him. My eyes are different because I see things differently. My ears are different in the way I hear things. My heart is different in the way I love people. I'm just different. I'm better. I'm more the person he wants me to be unless the selfish person I always become. And in the midst of an overwhelmed life, guess what gets sucked away first? That quiet time. That alone time with God. And if your life last year, if your life right now feels like it's been on a constant treadmill... You can run all you want. You can run, try to run faster. You can try to run longer. You can try to run away. But you're just not going to find the peace that you're looking for until you start keeping company with the king. We just celebrated his birth. We sang songs to the king, all sorts of things. Jesus is our king. He is our Lord, our Savior, our God. And then Jesus says this, For those who are tired, come to me. After he said that, he says in Matthew 11, Learn to... Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. In other words, learn the different ways that I love you. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and I will give you peace. And so my prayer today is go in that peace and serve the Lord all the days of your life with joy. You know, we try to do a lot of things to encourage this and 
Every year at this time, we make a big push, a big challenge, read through the Bible, and we're serious about that. Number one, you'll know the truth. And you don't have to base everything on what I say or what somebody else says. You can know for sure what's, what's in these pages, and that's a big deal, especially when there's like a lot of competing voices out there today. But God also promises that he gives us peace. It's a place where we're constantly reminded of his promises, of his love for us, of his care for us. And to be honest, we need that all the time. Every week we need to be reminded that we're forgiven. Why do we forget? I don't know, but we need to come and we need to hear that again. And God says that's one of the ways that you get to experience peace in life. And so we've given you a little bookmark that you can use. I don't care how you read the Bible. If it helps, use it. We've given you a Bible promise book, and it's, a, and it's a, actually a tremendous resource. It's not a Cliff Notes version of the Bible, but it is an important resource for when you're going through different stuff. And it has an index there, and you can look at what it is that you need, strength, whatever, and you look it up, and you can find God's promises. I know we sometimes get a hard heart toward this. I know our schedules are busy, and we don't know how we're going to accomplish it. But if you want to grow closer with the Lord this year, if you want more peace in your life this year, then you've got to spend time with them. And that's my encouragement today. And all God's people said, Amen.